to our life, there's a large part that lies beneath the surface, right? And the same thing is true about this church, that there's something that drives this church beneath the surface that is so important for us to understand. You know, we have a mission as a church to love God, follow Jesus, and serve others. And there's something, though, that carries us to be able to do those things. And that is, as you may have guessed from some of the worship songs that we sang this morning, the love of God itself. The love of God is what drives us, and it drives us to do what the purpose of the church and the goal of the church is. Do you know that every church, at least in my opinion, every church should have one goal. One goal when someone walks through the door, and that is to make disciples. And not just disciples, but mature disciples who are rooted in the love of God. And the reason why I think that is so important is because... Jesus himself was sent by God to be the incarnate God, God in the flesh. And God sending Jesus to earth represents the great love that he has for his people. Now, when we say to make mature disciples of Jesus, a disciple is a follower, someone who is uh, following in the ways of Another, And when it's important to say of Jesus in this case, because that's who God gave us as the ultimate example, the ultimate example, because Jesus is the personification of God's love. So here's what I want us to be thinking about when I, I want to frame this morning this way, that when we know God's love, we grow in love. And as we mature in God's love, we show love to those around us. Those things are tied together. You can't know God's love and grow in his love and then decide, you know, that's all well and good, but I'm not going to show God's love to anyone. It doesn't doesn't go together. They all are tied together. Because it would be wrong for us to say, oh, well, God uh, is love, but he never really showed love to us. Let's look at a verse that you guys know very well, probably. And if you don't know it, you'll hear it a lot. And that is John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that He did what? He showed it, right? He showed it by giving His Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God's love is made manifest in His actions. And His actions are that He sent Jesus into the world so that no one would perish but have eternal life. Jesus' actions of coming down from the heavenly places to earth show us God's love. It says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. That is love, isn't it? That God, Jesus specifically, who resided in the heavenly places, was made lower than the angels so that, not that he could get a vacation from heaven, but so that he could be on mission and fulfill a purpose that God had given him to taste death so that a people who was separated from God's goodness could be brought close. And not just close, but be brought into the family of God. That is amazing. And if we are disciples who are following after that kind of love, who have received that kind of love, 
I believe that there are three dynamics that we can grow in and mature in when we follow Jesus' type of love. And here they are. The three dynamics of maturing in God's love is a willingness to enter another's world. That can be a scary proposition sometimes. Think about it. God sent his son into a world that ultimately rejected him. Yet he did that anyway. We're going to talk about that in a second. The second thing is that it's important as we mature in God's love that we hold on to who we are. But we're going to talk about what is it that we're holding on to when we're following after God's love. And then the third thing is living in the tension between the two worlds. We just read in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, that God came and was made a little, he was brought down a little lower than the angels to live in a world, again, that ultimately rejected him. And wherever Jesus went, there was usually tension. Like almost every environment that you read about, Jesus is living in tension. And we, if we're following after God and displaying the love of God, you may find yourself at times living in a similar kind of tension. So let's look at this first one, the willingness to enter into another's world. I think it's important that as we understand God's willingness to enter, under, enter into another's world, specifically our world, that it's important that we understand the benevolence of God. Like, God didn't have to do this. This was a free gift, something that he decided to do on his own. He wasn't coaxed into doing it. He wasn't coerced into doing it. He just did it because that is his nature. It is a good nature. Psalms 145, verse 16 says, You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. And throughout Scripture, you see the benevolence of God play out again and again. And in Jesus' teachings... He talks about the benevolence of God and he relates it to, hey, if God does this, then shouldn't you think about that he's also going to do that for you too? Look at in Matthew chapter 6, verse 26 and 28. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And then he says, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. God's graciousness, His goodness, extends to all people. And what this shows me, and I love it, is that God is not a God of all creation that creates all things and then pushes back and goes, I hope it all works out. Instead, He stays intimately involved in His creation. He cares for the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. And if He cares about those things, then that benevolence, that goodness, extends to you and me too. That is so encouraging to me. But if we want to understand even more about the goodness of God and His willingness to enter another's world, we need to look at it through the life of Jesus. Because if He is God incarnate, God in the flesh, then what better example do we have than to look at Jesus' life? And I would challenge you to look at almost every story and every interaction that there is of Jesus' life where these three things aren't present, where uh, He enters into another's world, where he's, He's challenged to hold on to the purpose and mission that He came with, and the third thing of... Uh, that there was tension that existed that he had to live in. Like, there isn't an example I, that I could think of where that doesn't show up. 
I mean, think about stories like if Jesus wasn't willing to enter another person's world, a lady who dealt with um, like perpetual bleeding never would have been able to touch the hem of Jesus' garment if he didn't enter into her world. Zacchaeus never would have been able to like, be up in a tree when Jesus passed by if he didn't enter into his world. And even more so, Zacchaeus wouldn't have sat down at the table with Jesus if Jesus didn't enter into his world. But I think one of the greatest examples of Jesus displaying this kind of love is found during the Passion Week. We just looked at this story back right around Easter. And this is where we're going to be most of the morning, is in John chapter 13, where Jesus sits down with his disciples at the Lord's Supper and does some amazing things and teaches some amazing lessons that we're going to look at here. So turn with me to John chapter 13, verse 1. Jesus displays the love of God. And it's ultimately what should drive his disciples to live similarly. John 13, verse 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That seems like such just an opening, innocent statement. But this group of disciples, they were a ragtag group of people. I mean, they came from all different places, all different backgrounds. They were rough around the edges. And Jesus also knew what was eventually going to happen, how one would betray him, one would deny him, all of them would abandon him. But it says that having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. In the next verse, it names specifically how much he was going to love them. It says, During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, he goes on, but before we do, we need to note, he came into the world knowing that some would betray him. Do you know you can't be betrayed unless you are intimately connected with somebody? Like, you can't be betrayed by a stranger. Think about that. Jesus entered into their lives. He poured out who he was. And that had to happen for this type of word to be used. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Think about when Jesus entered into the world. How did he do so? As a baby, vulnerable, naked, with nothing but maybe a cloth wrapped around him in a manger. And now in his last week, when he sees the cross off in the distance, how does he appear before his disciples? Naked, with a towel wrapped around him, on bended knee, about to wash their feet. I thought about that and I just went, what a great example of God entering into our world. Not like so distant and detached that he can't relate, but as a servant, ready to take care of the needs of those whom he loved. I love that. 
In verse 5, it says, Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel. Again, Jesus takes the posture of a servant and serves the needs of those whom he loves. And here's the thing that I love, is that when he does this, none of the disciples could look at Jesus and go, Do you know where my feet have been? Why? Because he walked with them. He walked with them through the dusty, dirty streets. He walked with them past the livestock that were in the marketplaces. He walked with them past the livestock that were being prepared for offerings at the temple. And by the way, there were no sanitation services at the ready to clean up after all of that livestock in the area. So guess what? These men who were walking with sandals on their feet, not area mucking boots or shoes and socks, but these guys who had sandals and were walking through these dusty, dirty, grimy, filthy streets, they walked with Jesus together through those streets. And so when Jesus goes down on bended knee and starts washing their feet, He does so with them knowing that He had been with them and was walking with them every step of the way. And leave it to Peter to say, Lord, what are you doing? Do you wash my feet? This is mind-blowing to Peter. My question to you is, have you ever been in a relationship with someone where you have served someone and walked with someone so well that they could go, I can't believe you're doing this. Really? Like, I'm... Like, I, I've, I've done this like with people or some people like will be serving them and they go, I'm just ashamed that you're even here. And I'm like, what are you talking about? This is like, you're no different than me. I'm walking the same steps that you're walking. That's what Jesus was able to do. He walked with his disciples. He knew their hurts. He knew their fears. He knew their potential. And he still loved them anyway. All the while, he was able to hold on to who he was. Jesus didn't deviate from his intended purpose despite outside pressure. And Peter was going to challenge him. And this wasn't the first time that Peter, uh, Jesus was challenged. Jesus was challenged by scribes and Pharisees. Guess what? Jesus was challenged by his own family. Have you ever been challenged by your own family with things? Jesus was challenged. They couldn't understand His own family couldn't understand him. People who walked with him. In Mark chapter 3, there are two instances where his family come to him and say, hey, what are you doing? Like, you're gathering this big group of people around you. Crowds are coming to you. And this is what it says in Mark 3.21. It says, and when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. They're like, "This this isn't the way we raised you. What are you doing? Remember in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus is in the temple because the family had brought him to the temple and then they leave and they realize two days later that he's missing? What? Parenting of the Year Award, Mary and Joseph. And then they come back to Jesus and they go, What are you doing? We're worried about you. He goes, This is exactly where I'm supposed to be. I'm in my father's house. Jesus was constantly 
called into question about his motives or his, his uh, methods, I should say. And in John 13, verse 7, when Peter says, Lord, what are you doing? You're not a servant. You're our master. Lord, you know where our feet have been. We, and you know us. We don't deserve this. We deserve to be in that place. And Jesus answered him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And then Peter does something. Have you ever been given a gift and you feel like you don't deserve it or you feel like it's too great of a gift? And uh, this, this happens to me. My, my wife laughs at me because some, one time when we were in college, I wasn't going to share this, but I just need to. One time we were in college, we were going to get married and we're uh, with some friends and uh, they were going to be moving out of uh, their married housing. And so they said, hey, we have this couch, you know, we'll give it to you. And I went, no, that is too much. Like, let me pay you something for it. And they're like, no, Steve, really? Let me just give this gift to you. And I said, no, no. What can I do to pay you for this gift? And they said, listen, if you want to give us something, you can give us like 50 bucks. And I'm like, that is ridiculous. You need more than that. And then they said, fine, 100. And I went, are you kidding? That, if this, is, this is worth more than $100. They're so like, okay. How about, and they said whatever number, like $300. I said, I can't afford $300. (laughs) That's what Peter is doing here. He's going, what are you doing, Jesus? You can't do this. And Jesus says, you don't understand. And Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. If you don't accept this gift, if you can't receive the simple gift of my love, then you're going to miss it all. Simon Peter, again, pulls a Steve and says, Simon Peter, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. And he's talking about Judas because all of the other people had received his love and knew God's love. All, he had to, all they had to do was grow in that love themselves. They had to receive the grace and the mercy that Jesus lived His life out from. Jesus lived with such an identity of grace and mercy and truth that when He shared that love with His disciples, His expectation wasn't that they work harder to get better, but that they would receive that grace and mercy and live from that grace and mercy. And I think sometimes I hear this from loved ones who don't know Jesus and who, don't, who have not received His love, they'll say, man, I cannot go to church until I get my cussing under control. I can't go to church until I get my addictions under control. I can't go to church until whatever the barrier is that's keeping them from walking into church. And I've heard other people go, well, they walk into church. And they go, well, this is just who I am. I mean, I'm Irish, I'm stubborn, I'm loud, I'm Portuguese, I'm Italian, I'm whatever it is. This is who I am. And I believe what Jesus would say is, that's who you were. But who you are is someone who has received the grace of God 
And he's to live from that grace now. That's who you're to hold on to. Not your family, ancestry, or background, but the inheritance that God wants to give you by being part of his family. John 13, verse 12, it says, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done? Rhetorical question, don't answer. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. I love this. Because when God met Abraham and he met Moses, how did he refer to himself? I am. When Jesus performs this great act of love and demonstrates that he is God that has come into the world and entered their world to demonstrate great love on their behalf, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. I am he. I am God incarnate. I am God in the flesh. And this God in the flesh has come to pour out his love for you in a way that you have never seen or experienced before. He goes on, and it gets better. Jesus lived from such great purpose and intentionality that he carried out what Ephesians 2, verses 7 through 9 says is this. He says, So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a, not a result of works so that no one may boast. This is your identity now in Christ. Not because of your own doing or what you've done, but because of who Jesus is and what he came to do. He goes, it goes on in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. It says this. It says, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, his identity, mercy, grace, truth, love, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that, this is the reason why he has showed this love, how he's demonstrated love, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I am Stephen John Van Horn Jr., son of Steve and Kelly. But I am even more so the Son of God, a brother, an heir of the promise that Jesus made that I might have eternal life with him. That's the identity that I live from, not because of my own works, but because I have received and know the love of God. Can you say that? That's the truth. And if I know that love, then I need to start living from that love. I need to grow in that love. And this brings us to the third dynamic. To live in the tension between two worlds because no longer am I a resident of this world. And you're going, now Steve's gone off the loony bin. I'm no longer a resident here. This is an Airbnb for me. My heavenly home is where I'm headed. Ultimately, that's where I'm going. That's the hope that I have. But because I'm not there yet, there's this tension that exists. 
for you and for me, if you call yourself a believer of Jesus, or it should exist, if there isn't tension in your life because of that reality, then something's not right. There should be tension between living in this world and the world to come. Jesus is looking around the dinner table and seeing Judas who's going to betray him, Peter who's going to deny him, and he's looking ahead and sees the cross up on the hill where this amazing sacrifice is going to be happen, that's going to happen that this world has never seen. Jesus lived in the tension and invited his disciples into the tension as well. And what I love about that is that he didn't retreat and back off from the tension. He pressed into it and then said, hey, come on, come with me. I know this is uncomfortable, but it's worth it. Let's do this together. Let's step into this together. He goes on. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. And then he says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. He's not letting them off the hook. He's saying, hey, you know how uncomfortable it was when I got down on my knees and started washing your feet? Guess what? You're invited to do the same thing. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. As Christians, a lot of times we say, well, I just want to grow. I want to be fed. I want to be this. Do you know what? That's a consumer mentality. And that's not what Jesus is inviting us into. Jesus is inviting us to grow, absolutely. Is there benefit from pouring into and pouring over God's word? 100% yes. But we can't read his word and then be left going, well, that was good. That, I'm full. No. Like, we are given these instructions and given his word so that then we could do something with them. And Jesus invites his disciples to do that. Not to sit back and kick back, but to kick in to gear what it is that he has called us to do. In John chapter 13, just a few verses later in verse 34, it says a new commandment. Jesus gives this. He makes it very clear. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also ought to love one another. Real quick, because I'm running out of time. Do you think all the disciples got along great together? They came from all different backgrounds. There were zealots and fishermen and tax collectors. Some of these people were not like in normal circles together. And have you ever been on a long car ride? In the beginning of the car ride, everyone's excited. They're getting ready to go to you know, Disney or wherever. And then by the end, they're like, if he lays his head on my shoulder one more time... This is at the end of the journey with his disciples. And Jesus goes, all these guys who right now, maybe you'd rather go and do your separate things. He's saying, love one another. This is the commandment that I give you to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You want to carry out the family name. This is how you do it. To love one another. 
regardless of how you feel about them, regardless of how they offend you. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you love one another. Because when you know God's love, you grow in that love. And as we mature in God's love, we show love to those around us. I came across this story this week about two runners, a Kenyan runner and a Spanish runner. The Kenyan runner is Abel Mutai, and he was a few meters away from the finish line, but got confused by the signals and stopped, thinking that he had finished the race. The Spanish runner, Ivan Fernandez, was right behind him and realizing what was happening in front of him, began shouting for the Kenyan to keep running. Mutai did not know Spanish and did not understand, so Fernandez pushed Mutai to victory. One reporter asked Evan, why did you do this? And Evan replied, my dream is that one day we can have the kind of community life that pushes ourselves and others to win as well. But why? Did you let the Kenyan win? The reporter insisted. Evan replied, I didn't let him win. He would win. It was his race. The reporter insisted and asked again, but you could have won. And Evan looked at him and replied, but what is the merit of my victory? What is the honor of this medal? And how and what would my mother think? When we know God's love and we grow in God's love, we are compelled by him to push others to victory. Because he commands us to love one another in such a way that does that. That sacrifices your own good for the sake of others. That's what love looks like. Jesus embodied that kind of love. He pushed others to the finish line that they couldn't get to. They couldn't get to God's glory, so he pushed them over the line by going to the cross for me and to you. Here are the next steps. There's three next steps. I'm going to run through them. The first is this, that you understand that Jesus embodies the perfect love of God and you're ready to receive the free gift of God's love. That is like foundation. Like you can't do steps two and three until you get there, okay? So think about that. Grab your next steps card that's right in front of you or that's on the link that you can get online or that's in your bulletin or on the QR code. And if that's something that you need to do to receive God's love, would you take that step today? The second is this, that you won't let bitterness, jealousy, anger, distractions, whatever it is that you want to fill in the blank here, that you won't let that keep you from growing in the love of God. And Instead, you will choose to live from the identity that God has given you in Christ to grow in that kind of love by extending grace and mercy to those around you. It is hard sometimes to do that all the time. But we need to identify what are those things that are keeping us from growing. And the last one is this, that this week will you commit to showing love to those around you by inviting someone, maybe a neighbor, a coworker, or someone you don't know in this room. Look to your right, look to your left, look in front of you, look behind you. Is there someone? Like, I really want you to do that. Look. Don't look at me. Look around. Is there someone you don't know? Probably. Invite them into your life for lunch. If you're going to lunch, you're eating. I guarantee all of you are eating after this. Invite somebody. 
we have had the privilege for the last four months to have a, an exchange student live with us. And it started because someone asked if we would be willing to consider inviting him into our life. And we didn't just go, oh yeah, definitely. Someone asked us and we considered it. And, and people asked us as we were preparing to have him come into our home, why are you doing this? Mario, who is living with us, asked us, why are you doing this? And it's because we know the love of God. We are trying to grow in the love of God. We're not doing it perfectly, but we're growing together. And now this is an opportunity to show the love of God to someone who maybe doesn't know it. And we have had some good conversations. There's been tension. Absolutely. Someone who's coming from another world, basically, in Spain to Rhode Island. But you know what? The people here have loved him well. The students here have loved him so well. And he has seen the love of God. Because we responded just yes to an invitation. So would you consider responding with a yes to an invitation to show the love of God to those around you today? We are about to uh, take communion together, which is what Jesus, that was the, the whole environment, the setup for this scene that we just read about in John chapter 13. It is so important this, that you understand that this is an opportunity for people who have decided to receive the love of God to evaluate, are they right with God? And are they right with those around them? If you can answer yes to both those questions, then we invite you to partake in communion together with us. We're going to take communion together, but before we do that, I'd invite you to stand and reflect as we sing this song together.